Welcome to the Friendly Maples Lounge, the podcast all about board games, new and old, weird and fun, and our thoughts and feeling about their playability. I'm your host, Jen Flores. And I'm your host, Chris Ingold. And guess what? We sort of no longer have COVID. Yay! <laughs> so after the complete ramblings mess, I, at this point, I'm still editing the, the last episode, just in, in terms of a little bit of kind of behind the curtain timing. Uh, so after the rambling mess of the last episode, where we were kind of sucked out our brains out of the COVID pit to, to kind of share that that experience that we've most of us have all had to talk about games, we're now going to be cogent, lucid and sharp as a nail. Mostly. <laughs> Mostly we are. Chris, Chris definitely is. I'm still a little brain foggy, but uh, we'll get there eventually, right? We will get there. And you've been um, playing some, some games because obviously during actual COVID time, it's hard to play board games. It you is. Know, they require a brain and, you know, kind of brain isn't always there. But you've been going through the fog on a ship full of cats, haven't you, Jen? I, yes, actually. So we had the, the board game market and it was extremely successful. So if you came along, thank you. We hope you had an awesome time. We we sold a ton more at the flea market than we expected. We had amazing feedback from all of the retailers and I finally managed to get a hold of a copy of Isle of Cats and I am so thrilled. It is not the game that we're featuring today, but yes, I have been playing it. I absolutely love it. I definitely think it needs its own episode because there's a few little things I definitely think could have been done a lot better with that game. So, yeah, and I also finally managed to play Paleo. So it's only been six months in the making. (laughs) What about yourself, Chris? What have you been playing? So um, I finally got to play, uh, which has been a dream for a while because I love semi-cooperative games. Some people like them, some people hate them, some people like some of them, but I love them to bits uh, because they're, they're just so thematic when they're done well. And I managed to play the Holy Grail of um, semi-co-op games because I finally managed to get a copy of Battlestar Galactica, the board game. And I think that's the closest thing you can say about Battlestar Galactica, the board game, because it's not an easy thing to get to play because it's been out of print for a number of years because they've lost the license. So there was plenty of copies of it sold when it was on the market, but you can't get it for love and money now. Um, and Battlestar Galactica feels like Battlestar Galactica. In fact, out of any game I think I've ever played based on a license, it just feels like Battlestar Galactica. And it was designed by Corey Kineska, who designed Star Wars Rebellion, which is about the only Star Wars game that really feels like Star Wars. And he designed our game of the pod, which we're going to be talking about later. So that's another sort of a <laughs> throwaway little kind of entry in there. I he didn't did. actually know that. <laughs> but, hey, he's clearly a fan of these genres or somebody who researches very well. And, look, today's game, let's just get it out there. We are doing the absolute epic Mansions of Madness. If you haven't come across this game before, you are missing out, my friends. It is absolutely one of my very favourite games. I think it's pretty epic. But I also grew up playing some very fun games like Atmosphere and Nightmare, which 
if you've not played those games either, again, you missed out. And it's probably a generational thing. I'm almost 40. I know Chris is over 40 himself. And it was definitely those two games were about when we were younger. If you don't know what we're talking about, these are games that sort of have a built-in game master so they have an app or a video or something like that that goes with them to help you run the game so I think where Mansions of Madness really came from are Atmosphere and Nightmare which were actually VCR games and I know you were saying before Chris that you had managed to get a hold of a copy and crack out the old VCR player and have a go at Atmosphere yeah we didn't get a copy, so to speak, but a few years ago, but when we were um, still living in the UK and we went up to my parents, we got out our old copy mm. from when we were kids from the attic and put it down on my parents' VCR player because my parents still had a VCR player, as parents tend to, right? <laughs> Depending how old your parents are. And as many of us don't, because we did the thing where we moved to Australia, the amount of VCR or the amount of video tapes that we brought across was reduced and reduced and reduced until we got out some of the ones we had left, put them on to play them and find out they didn't even work, yeah. which is what tends to happen. <laughs> but the Atmosphere one did. And and there's a couple, because I think we were going around a little bit of a sort of a, a loop here um, because Mansions of Madness second edition, which is what we're talking about, has that, has got that kind of history behind it because it's got a built-in Games Master. It's got the history of the first edition that didn't have a built-in Games Master and had an actual Games Master that goes all the way back down to D&D, or I guess Call of the Cthulhu, would probably be the, the origins from Manchester Madness, and then through games like Hero Quest, which we also played a lot of as kids. So if you took Hero Quest and combined that with the Spirit of Atmosphere, and then gave it a little bit more literary kraut because let's face it, the stories in Hero Quest are pretty rubbish. And the stories <laughs> in Atmos are definitely rubbish. Yes, I mean, it was. Um, I, I, I guess to avoid going around in circles, I think it is important to explain what atmosphere is because I think there might even have been some kind of reissue of it or some kind of a Kickstarter version or something because I think it came I back. I think there but was. I don't think it came back in a big way. I have to look this up and see whether or not there is a thing I'm just going to type in Kickstarter and atmosphere. I guess the key question though, Chris, is did you have VHS or beta? Oh, did anybody have beta? <laughs> now yes. I'm going to find out you had beta. Yes. My cousins <laughs> had, so my cousins had Nightmare and they had the beta version of Nightmare and we had the VHS version of Atmosphere. So they'd come to our house and we'd play Atmosphere and we'd go to theirs and they, we'd play Nightmare. So I actually liked Atmosphere more because there were quite a few more stories, whereas Nightmare was just one story the whole way through. Like after a while, when you'd played the game three or four times, you knew exactly what was coming, when it was coming. That that got a bit boring. But Atmosphere had a little bit more to it. So I I think I preferred Atmosphere. But when I found... I kind of outgrew that. As a teenager, I started tabletop role-playing and LARPing, so live-action role-playing. And Call of Cthulhu was one of the very first games that I ever played, which is why I think when Rod said to me, hey, have you actually heard of Mansions of Madness? I was like, pardon, what? And 
insisted immediately that we needed to spend, you know, like $300 buying the base game and several expansions because I had to have them all right now. (laughs) So, Jen, I've been um, scrolling while we've been talking here and we're talking here about Atmosphere from our memory, but the Atmosphere 30th anniversary reissue is currently shipping oh, out no. to Kickstarter backers right now with some extra characters and so forth built in. I assume that's on an app. So for, for those of you that haven't heard of it, I don't know whether it'll even be coming to stores. It's probably still not a very good game by modern <laughs> standards, right? So it might be something where you need the nostalgia to enjoy it. I don't know. But effectively, like in, in Atmosphere, you had a videotape. Was it available in Betamax? I don't think it was. I mean, Possibly not. I think we might have been post Betamax at that point, but Atmosphere was, um, it had a effectively a timer built into this video. You were playing a, a game and it was basically like a kind of roll and move kind of game. You're wandering around trying to get bits of stuff, do stuff in the in really old fashioned kind of like you, the kind of game where you talk, I'd say, we're never going to play this. When are we going to play this? Because it's like, it's rubbish. But you had this video with ominous music and, and all that sort of stuff. And then suddenly this voice would go, stop. You have to stop. Whose turn is it next? Hands up. Uh, miss the time, you silly little maggot. <laughs> and then he'd like disappear. And there'd be like his face on the board. And it would basically, and it would sort of come and go and, you know, you think you're going to win. You think you're going to get the prize. <laughs> I think not. And then just vanish. <laughs> Right? And he would just do this. And the thing is, is he knew when it was going to do it. I don't know whether the reissue is going to mix it up a little bit because it's the same videotape every single time. You know, you've got whatever it was, 45, 60 minutes of this guy doing this thing. And so, you know, kind of, you could have a little bit of sort of flex in it, but if you played it too much, right, you knew to the moment, you could like almost sit there and wait and game it, just rush your turns because you know it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Right? And if somebody doesn't know it's coming, you could set them up for it. So you kind of had to like not play it. Wait, hang on. Before you played it for a bit. Did yours only come with one video? Ours only came with (gasps) one video. The Australian version of Atmosphere had three videos. Ooh. Maybe that's because they thought you all had bigger houses. (laughs) Probably. I very distinctly remember when we got it that, and I, I think we got it for when I turned... The Christmas I turned nine. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And it had three videos in it, which is why I was like, oh, I prefer Atmosphere because it had more to it. So if you kind of mixed it around, you were never quite sure which one you were going to get. Oh, so that might have been like a new addition because I'm not sure how old I would have been when we were playing it. Probably around about 12 because I think it was my brother got it as a present. Um, So I might have been more like 11 or 12 when we discovered it. And... That would have then, because I'm like seven or eight years older than you are, so it's, you know, that would have then potentially been like the previous edition because I think it was brand new. Yeah. Like they were then, the atmosphere was, was you know, because that was like the new thing because it was after Hero Quest, I think. At the time, those games were amazing. They were revolutionary, you know, mixing up a video with a board game. Who would have thought? And then... You know, skipping forward to now when we've got such amazing technologies with, you know, obviously computers and the internet and our phones and all the fantastic things that we can do with them, 
I know we were talking just before about the list of different games that all have apps. So things like Chronicles of Crime, where I know you mentioned, Chris, they even allowed fans of the game to write their own versions of it and the Unlock games and Gloomhaven and a lot of the board games having their solo versions with an app as well. The Unlock games in terms of doing crazy stuff with an app are the king of doing crazy stuff with an app. And the problem is you can't (laughs) give any examples of that. But if you play enough Unlock games, you'll think of some which make you just smile. There'll be other ones which will make you want to go and find that unlocked box if it's still in your house and throw it out the window because they're like going, no, I'm sorry. It was not something that was predictable that I might have to take my phone and do that with it. (laughs) That that wasn't there. But it's, you know, they certainly can't be faulted for trying. And you know what? I think I'm probably biased in in my opinion of this, but I actually think when it comes to a game with a really amazing replayable app that changes every single time and you can play over and over again. I don't think you can beat Mansions of Madness. Honestly, I I know that's a big call, <laughs> but I really genuinely think it is so well designed because, I mean, we've played the same scenarios probably at least three or four times each and every single time it's been different it's not quite the og but it effectively is the og in terms of doing it properly isn't it because the thing about manchester madness is they had a lot to prove when it came out and i I forget exactly what order there was mansions of madness star wars imperial assault and descent uh, legends of the dark which uh fantasy flights kind of big ticket role play games in a box all of them had a history in kind of hero quest in a hero quest there was one player would play the games master and they'd have like a book of scenario stuff so that they could like a games master in dnd they could sit there and surprise you they could like reveal bits of the map that you hadn't seen yet from their secret plans they could tell you this monster that you didn't expect was coming through or they could like throw a twist into the narrative that you wouldn't expect right and they could do that and it was sort of spontaneous um so Fantasy Flight put out these three games and these three games all required a dungeon master. And the problem was that most people didn't want to play the dungeon master. Now I was the weird one. I liked playing the dungeon master. I still (laughs) enjoy that kind kind of game when you can do that. But most people actually didn't want to play it. And with Mansions of Madness, some of the games really about discovery. You know, what is hiding behind that dark foreboding little door? You know, where's that going to take me? It's, even more frustrating to play the Dungeon Master because you want to be discovering, you want to be finding out. Absolutely. So they built on that, didn't they? And created these, I mean, really amazing apps, but they had like something to work on. And do you think maybe part of it was because they, if there hadn't been Manchester of Madness first edition, or in fact, Star Wars Imperial Assault first edition or Descent first edition or whatever it is, without that, do you think they would have been quite as transformative? Because they're amazing, aren't they? Do you know, I I feel like even going further back than that, if there hadn't been Call of Cthulhu, Mm. the role-playing game, or Star Wars, Mm. the role-playing game, or, you know, even like Battlestar Galactica, Vampire the Masquerade, all of those role-playing games, would the games that have have followed them, would they have been as good as they are now? And... Mm. I really, I mean, like I said, nostalgia-wise, this is why for me Mansions of Madness is so incredible. We had the most awesome storyteller, Vlad, 
so Vladimir, <laughs> if you're going to go for, you know, the funkiest name for a storyteller, he was fantastic. He probably spoiled the hell out of me when it came to playing an atmospheric role-playing game, which is why I think I love Call of Cthulhu quite as much as I do. We were very lucky as well that you know, we had a club in Adelaide where I grew up and there were lots of little rooms and you could hire out a room and go in there just to play role-playing games. So it, it's not something that a lot of people had access to. And because of that, we had the opportunity to decorate those games and set them up and you know, really make it so atmospheric. And Vlad was fantastic at setting up a speaker system so that during the game, you know, if there was a blood-curdling scream, by God, there was going to be a blood-curdling scream that would happen in the background because he'd set up his stereo to play that blood-curdling scream. So to then go on and be like, oh, my God, move to Melbourne, let's find somebody else to role-play with, since then, we never found, you know, a dungeon master who was quite as good at Cthulhu as Vlad ever was. So to then stumble across Mansions of Madness, where you no longer need the dungeon master and you still get that same fantastic atmosphere, yeah, my my little nostalgic heart beats very, very hard for this game. So I guess another little silly thing my birthday is the same as H.P. Lovecraft. And as much as he's a horrendous human being, I think that kind of made me go, oh, that's really cool. You know, I, I want to learn more about the these stories and this game. So one of the other great things about Mansions of Madness is that it comes from a history of sort of fantasy flight games and it comes from Corey Koneska, who's uh, you know, again, one of the greatest designers of very thematic games that exists. He was instrumental in the last edition of Twilight Imperium. You know, he designed as well like Star Wars Rebellion, as mentioned earlier. He's had Manchester Madness. He's also designed some really crazy games just in the last couple of years that have nothing to do with that because he decided he didn't want to do those anymore. And he designed <laughs> Battlestar Galactica, which I love to bits. But within that history are some really fat rule books. There's some really complicated rules, like, you know, kind of because obviously when you're doing anything that comes close to a role play game, comes close to something thematic, the rules tend to get more fiddly, like stats tables, roll tables, or everything's got like bigger health, complicated attack powers, all of this stuff is really complicated. So I think it's really important. So buckle down for the next 20 minutes while I explain the rules of Mansions from Madness second edition. Each player takes two actions out of a very simple set of actions. Then you let the app tell you what the monsters do. Repeat until you win or you lose. Yeah. The- <laughs> Good that, isn't it? <laughs> That's pretty much it, right? <laughs> the, because the app knows the rules. I forget a couple of things. There's like a horror check, you know, what do you roll against? And then there's these clue tokens. Because I, I think when we get to the kind of weird things about Mansions of Madness, I'll go on to my thing about mansions of madness clue tokens <laughs> but outside of that um, but that's 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 effectively the rules now there's loads more complexity in it but the yeah. app holds your hand because the really complicated rules of mansions of madness are in the app it's and a it tells very, you what to do. it's a very beginner friendly game like you can know absolutely nothing about the world of call of cthulhu you know absolutely nothing and you can still sit down and play this game and have an amazing time it is a cooperative game. 
I think the most complicated thing really is trying to get the balance right at the start when you're all picking characters and making sure you've got a good enough balance of really strong characters and really smart characters and really occult heavy characters so that you can actually win the game. Because I'll tell you what, of all the times I've played Mansions of Madness, I could probably count on one hand the number of times we've won a scenario. How many times have you lost the scenario knowing that you were only one move away from winning it? Oh, so many. (laughs) (laughs) So many times. That's a well-tuned co-op game because then you don't, you actually get to see it. You get to experience it. You just might not quite make it at the end, which is, is part of the fun. I see. I don't like HP Lovecraft. I didn't used to object to HP Lovecraft, and then I just got tired and tired and tired of various aspects of like the, the Cthulhu kind of framework. It's the monsters and the ghouls in in it, and in board games, that's a bit of a challenge because board games love HP Lovecraft. You know, kind of he's out of copyright, so it's dead easy. And you've got Call of the Cthulhu, and loads of people are growing up playing Call of the Cthulhu, so it's it's almost owned. Like Cthulhu belongs to role play gamers and board gamers, so it's one of those things that just keeps on coming out and coming out. But I. I don't, don't like it, but I think of Manchester Madness as Resident Evil, the board game, because I love Resident Evil because I grew up playing all the Resident Evil games. I've been playing the remakes and they're all fantastic as well. And the Resident Evil board game is unfortunately rubbish, the real one. Oh, yeah. So, hey, I've Mansions of Madness. And that's what Manchester Madness is. If you really want to put it down, in particular, the way there's a mansion in it, Mansions of Madness is Resident Evil, the board game in feel. Absolutely. Right? And, and probably more than anything else. And it's just so if you don't like Cthulhu then that's the way of thinking about it if you don't like Resident Evil either then probably want to play Star Wars Imperial Assault instead <laughs> but do you find any issues with Manchester Madness because there's at least there's one kind of esoteric thing that I have a challenge with which is a fantasy flight thing or, or there was one thing Mansions of Madness is famously slagged off for <laughs> too many clue right. tokens <laughs> Since, no it is not no that, that I mean that's just me right the mountain of clue tokens because I mean Jen like you know, she, she's fine. She doesn't mind. She gets our mansions map this box and literally swims oh, through no, the pile of clue tokens wait, and then comes up for air. But I don't have a Mansions of Madness box. This is where I'm a little bit crazy. I actually have a table which we have all of our Mansions of Madness parts in. So. If you're familiar with Ikea, there is a fold-down table you can get from them which has six drawers in it. So it's one of those tables that's designed for a really small space, so it has lots and lots of storage underneath. We have all of our Mansions of Madness parts in these six drawers in this table, which we use to play pretty much just Mansions of Madness. Now, it's a table that sits in my craft room, so I also use it for crafting stuff, but that's how big of a game Mansions of Madness is. It takes up six entire drawers. Now, that being said, I have pretty much all but one of the expansions and every single box comes with loads and loads of extra pieces. There is, uh, you know, I could probably end up at some point painting all of the miniatures. I can't fathom how long it's going to take me to paint all of those miniatures and I've already owned the game for at least three years at this point. I will never paint Mansions of Madness. It's <laughs> one of the games I've decided not to paint and it's not that I've got games with more miniatures in them. It's again that's more because it's Cthulhu and I kind of go well you know, I'll, I'll, I'll live. I might at some point give just the heroes a little spray with, with something just to make them stand out a little bit more but I wouldn't actually paint those ones but many people do and they are good miniatures except for they the fall massive, off the bases massive, a bit, though. Massive. Well, 
the bases of the problem, aren't they? Yeah, they I are. Do you now? Do you because the base the Manchester Madness has these enormous bases that effectively obscure the map they're sound. So you get these beautiful map tiles, and then you get these massive monsters with a big slab of black plastic on the bottom that just sits on top of the map tiles. I know lots of people have actually taken those bases off and replaced them. Yeah. With like either clear bases or they put them something else and just just got rid of them. But you're right; you have to glue them on when you get your game. So that is something with Manchester Madness that it's a if you're it's a very hands on. Yeah, if you're a casual board gamer, that is something where you go, hold on, I wasn't expecting that. I didn't think that polystyrene cement entered into the equation. If I'm, you know, kind of a, a new board gamer, so that's a little bit icky. Um, but the big plastic things, I mean, they're like huge for they're the big huge. monsters they're like two they inches are. square i think my biggest pet peeve with mansions of madness would actually be the size of the boxes that they give you for the expansions but versus how much is actually in there so I think there's a lot of fluff and things in some of the boxes where they really could cut it down quite significantly and I find it very wasteful. So as much as we need six drawers to store Mansions of Madness, the boxes still, uh, they're far too big. You know, it's... Do you have all the original boxes or have you consolidated down? Or have you got the boxes in the drawers? We've got all but one all but one of the original boxes mm-hmm. sitting up on the shelf and I feel like we should probably throw them out because all of the pieces are not mm-hmm. in there. They are actually in a table. But you know what we've forgotten to do, Chris? We've forgotten a word from our sponsors. The royal footman walked with purpose towards the door of the manor, his tricone hat perfectly poised atop the powdered silver wig while a snug green velvet frock coat adorned his slim form. I heard the loud thump on the door, a smile curling my lips in anticipation as I looked around the morning room at my sisters. A small fire crackled in the marble fireplace, tea and scones spread across the ornate wooden side table as a pack of cards lay spread across the playing table in front of us. What could this be? proclaimed my sister. No royal wedding was anticipated, no heir to the throne. Moments later, we all rushed to the parlour door, crowding around, pressing our ears to the pale blue painted wood. Good morning, sir, rang the voice of our butler Bromley. How may I be of assistance? I come bearing an invitation for the ladies of the house, good sir, proclaimed the voice of the handsome footman. The Queen wishes to invite all ladies of the realm to a day of frivolity at the palace. Tea and scones will be provided, along with a selection of delightful games arranged for all. The Queen wishes it known that all ladies are welcome. She wishes none to be excluded and has decided to proclaim this new endeavour the Devonshire Society. Like gasps of delight filled the room with joy, for while we all enjoyed our own company, we also basked in the idea of an excuse to meet some new ladies, and an opportunity to do so in the safety of feminine company is always welcome. Please join us for the return of our ladies' game day, the Devonshire Society. All people who identify as femme are welcome. We'd love to see you at the Boyd Community Hub in South Bank. 
please check our Facebook page for event times and details. The cost is $10 per head, which includes scones, jam and cream and hot drinks. We look forward to seeing you all there. Please do contact us if you do have any questions. That's the Boyd Community Hub in South Bank and please do check our Facebook page for details. You know, Chris, also, I think there's something else we've forgotten to do, which is really explain we're talking about tiles, we're talking about pieces. Maybe we should explain a little bit more about how do we actually really play this game. What's really great about Mansions of Madness is that it comes with a whole bunch of tiles. There isn't a set out board game itself. There are a whole bunch of tiles that you get and every expansion pack gives you a whole other set of tiles and those tiles can be a room they can be a street they can be a garden they can be all sorts of things even in one of them they're actually floats for a parade so as you're playing along with mansions the game will tell you to put down a starting tile and then you'll start building your map, kind of like Betrayal a little bit, if you've ever played Betrayal, except on a much bigger scale. And when I say a much bigger scale, my table is 1.2 by 2.4 metres and there are times we've struggled to fit it on that table. And every single time, even if you're playing the same scenario, if you have registered on there because you play it through Steam, if you've registered on there that you've got different expansions it'll quite often bring in rooms from other expansions to change up the map a bit for you for the next game so that it's a bit different the next time and sometimes it'll send a slightly different monster that you weren't expecting in that scenario and all these bits that we're talking about these monsters some of them are absolutely giant. Like Chris was saying, some of the monsters are two to three inches tall. They're huge. Whereas the little playing pieces that you're playing with are only about an inch tall. So your character is tiny. And I think it really adds very well to the atmosphere. But unlike a lot of other games out there, there's not a big deck of cards you have to hold or anything like that. There are just a set of actions and a set of strengths that each character has and a set of weaknesses that each character has. And you go out there as a group going through whatever map you're playing at the time, trying to defeat the monsters and bring order back to the universe so that the great Lord Cthulhu doesn't you know, cross the veil into our realm and take over. Because there's loads of different stories in Manchester Matters, aren't there? But they all end with the Lord Cthulhu trying to get in and sneak in and take over. Absolutely. That, that's a bit of a spoiler. But. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I actually really love about the games as well is that kind of like with Betrayal, there is every opportunity during the game, and like all of the other Cthulhu-based games as well, you have sanity checks. And at any point, if you do actually go insane, the first time you go insane, you don't actually die. You get a new objective for the game. That objective may align with the objectives of everybody else or it may be a personal objective which screws everybody else in the game over. And if you get it, you win and everyone else doesn't. And we actually played one particular game where Rod's objective, he went insane, and his objective was he had to burn the mansion down. 
And we're all running around like crazy trying to prevent this fire while Rod is sneakily trying (laughs) to convince us that we should be letting the fire spread because we've got other things we have to deal with. And he had to have, I think, something like eight or ten of the rooms on fire for it to be declared a win for him, and he actually won that game. So the rest of us all went and burned in hell while Cthulhu (laughs) came and took over the planet. Which is, that's very betrayal-like. Absolutely. When that happens. Um, I'd forgotten, actually, that that, I haven't had a lot of that when I played Manchester Madness, actually, that happening. I know there's another sort of traitor mechanic in, not played it, one of the horrific journeys scenarios has got something where because it's it's one of the few scenarios that you can't play so like a lot of Manchester Madness you could play solo albeit things like the somebody going mad and wanting to burn the, the place down doesn't really work if you're playing on your own um, <laughs> but it's it, it reminds me again that's another example of just some really really good sort of semi-cooperative tactics and one of the reasons that I love games that have that is that it brings it feels more thematic it tells a story more because in in I'd say both real life, but also sort of actual stories. If you've got something that's genuinely cinematic, then it's usually not as simple as somebody wins all the time or somebody loses all the time. There often are these sorts of little bits on the side or somebody else can half win or someone can sneak a victory by doing X. You know, all of that's part and parcel of telling a deeper story. And that's really what Manchester Badness is about. Uh, isn't it? It's trying to actually make you feel like you're in it. The, the other thing it does well, and... There's a few apps that do this really well with music. Manchester Madness does it really well with sound effects. Is It's got kind of a looping kind of set of noises. Yeah, kind of like it's going to... Just like, you know, a Resident Evil video game would. Um, and if you're playing like a four-hour scenario, that could kind of get old. But it doesn't. It doesn't. And the no. fact that it doesn't... It's just a. It must be some. It's just some really good spooky noises. That's the, That's the simple fact of it. But it doesn't get old while you're playing it. Um, it does get old if somebody is not playing it and having to listen to you lot playing it. That I have learned. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for them it gets old, but they should have like just joined the game rather than exactly. sort of sitting outside. Yeah, that's that's easy. <laughs> yeah. You have to put up with the creepy noises a bit, but it's got some really good sound design. Yeah. I mean, when it comes because it's very very easy to do something like that and it to be very very annoying you can't even if you're a fan of something if you hear the same sounds looping over and over again and they're not well chosen sounds it can lead you to a point where your sanity will genuinely flip and if anybody wants to test this who lives anywhere near a city center anywhere in kind of the major western world go to your local lego store and stand there for 15 minutes and see if you can actually manage to get out without wanting to find the loudspeaker and shut that repeat music down oh it's so <laughs> like, bad it's, isn't it? it's like it's like so it's like it, the skill of having a looping track that plays the same stuff repeatedly over and actually having it be okay yeah, that's it's really good, and there's, there's just some fantastic work that's gone into Mansions of Madness. It's been a true sort of labour of love. The other thing we made reference to earlier, though, Jenny, we're talking about the amount of stuff in Mansions of Madness, and actually have only one of the expansions, and I have the base game and that expansion, Horrific Journeys, in the one box, and I couldn't get another one of the expansions in that box. That wouldn't be possible. But they say they do come with a lot of stuff. And some of the tiles, you kind of think, well, it's good that you can reuse them in different scenarios because, yeah, otherwise a lot of them are one hit. You know, you get to play with them just once. 
but they all come with lots and lots of tokens. And something Fantasy Flight do is if they've got some space on their punch board, they'll fill it with more tokens. So in Mansions of Madness, you get these little tokens with magnifying glasses on them. And you can use them for a number of things. They're called clue tokens. But the main use for them is that you store them up and it allows you to amend a dice roll. But you've got to decide when to use them because you won't generally have lots of them. Like clue tokens mm-hmm. are given out as a reward for when you need them. If you're lucky, you might have three or four on hand, but quite often you'll have run out because you spent them all correcting a dice roll earlier. Now, if you haven't got any clue tokens. And it's made extra, extra, extra painful when you're struggling for clue tokens, looking at the pile that the game gives you. Because <laughs> even with just one expansion, I had to throw some away because I'd filled the tray 15 centimetres long with clue tokens. Now, if you then yeah. add every other expansion, I mean, Jen, have you kept all of them? Yes. We have not thrown out anything from any of the expansions other than one box. So I think we we don't have – we were going through before actually and looking at which ones to actually have. So Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition has seven expansions that are compatible with it. Two of them – uh, first edition expansions that they've made adaptions so that you can still use those first edition um, expansions with second edition. The other five of those five, I have four of them. Path of the Serpent is one of the more recent ones. That one didn't actually come with a lot in the box. And I think that one only came with about 15 clue tokens. And when I say only came with about 15 clue tokens, the rest I'm fairly certain all had a lot more than that. We have a big baggie full of clue tokens. <laughs> we never pour the whole thing out during a game because there's no point in having that many clue tokens. But it's a lot. The other thing that kind of bugs me a little bit is as well as clue tokens, you have additional character tokens. So throughout playing Mansions of Madness, you're going to stumble across inbuilt story characters and trying to decipher and pick out which which character is it can get really taxing because once you've got that many expansions, I'm fairly certain we've got about 100 extra characters at this point. At least they often stay on there because you get a character token and sits there kind of in the game board and you go, oh, I'm going to go and speak to the guy who looks like a butler or whatever it is. The amount of games of this type, you know, campaign games, big story games, where it says, right, you now encounter... Mr. Harris, whatever it is, right? And you go and find Mr. Harris, and it could be a plastic miniature of Sandy or whatever it is. It could be like giant goblin. Um, the most goblins aren't called Mr. Harris, but I don't <laughs> know, that, that name came came out. And you go and find him, and it takes you ages. You're wading through this box, or you're wading through some grey miniatures looking for the one that looks just like Mr. Harris. You get him out, you stick him on there, and then it says, what are you going to do? Are you going to attack Mr. Harris? Yeah, well, he's dead. You put him away. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Harris was quite easy to get rid of. And it's like... I spent longer looking for him than I spent playing with him. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> at least they stay out a bit because often they do, when these yes. counters come up on there, you've got to decide whether it's worth speaking to them and stuff, haven't you? I think one of the things we realised quite early on with playing Mansions of Madness is that you really have to split up what you're doing. And there are lots of benefits a lot of the time to sticking together as a group, but there are just as many benefits to splitting up and you genuinely can't do everything because when you do try and get all of the clues, 
you will fail every single time you will fail because there just isn't enough time in the game for you to gather every piece of evidence you need. Sometimes you just have to wing it and go for it and hope for the best and go, I probably should talk to that character, but I'm just going to skip over it and rush to the end. But, yeah, like at least the characters are out for quite a long period of time and most of them are very, very useful. Most of them do actually have very good clues for you. And I think we ended up going through and putting all of the characters in alphabetical order and put them in this little tray <laughs> and then someone dropped it. So we went, oh, screw it, and just threw them all in a bag. Of course they did. I feel that Mansion Madness, although you, you say that and you can't do everything, I, I think if any of you have played games which also have that mechanic but go a little bit too far because that's quite common in like detective type games and detective the modern crime board game the portal games one occasionally veers on being a little bit too mean there but i think gets it almost right in terms of you've got a limited set of actions what can you do because you can always do a little more than you think you're going to be able to but less than you think you need there was a game called morton medieval detective which was out sort of recently from arcane wonders and that one i think went too far in that the amount that you could do was just so limiting that it was a crapshoot whether or not you're going to find the right clues or not um time stories had a bit of that the whole point was that you went through it again and again and again so you know kind of it worked when it worked and when that was fun and you could take stuff that you'd learned the first time around and make it the next time so that was kind of okay but it's really I don't know if you find it, Jen, that that, that tension's great, but it's also really frustrating in a game like Mansions of Madness. You actually want to be able to explore as much as possible Mm -hmm. because the fun is in the exploration, right? The fun is not the race to kind of solve it. So they have to judge that. And I think they get it usually just about right. They do. You you can see everything almost, but just not quite. I think the really great thing about Mansions is that you – you come to know that the very first time you play through a scenario, you're probably not going to win it. You're probably going to have to play it again once you kind of have figured out where should we probably be looking, what, and they do change it up a little bit each time so that it is a slightly different scenario, but it gives you enough of an idea that the next play around you might actually be able to achieve it. That being said, with the number of times that I've said before, like I've probably played Mansions of Madness 40 to 50 times and only won a handful of times. I've loved every single time I've played it because even when you crash and burn horrifically, it's still a fantastic game. You know, it's it's like being involved in a write-your-own-adventure novel every time you play it. So... It is definitely one of those games that even if you don't win, you're going to have a really good time. So we were going to talk a little bit more about um, some of the other sort of ways that apps have been used in games because there's quite a few uh, now and some some really creative ones. And, and as we said before, Unlock does probably some of the most creative things, but you can't talk about them, at least no. not without spoiling the games. So no. you, you'll have to just find those ones out for yourself. One that I wanted to pick up on, really good examples of games like Forgotten Waters, which, like Manchester Madness, can go on forever, but is is not serious and dark. It's very, very, very silly and funny. Uh, but that's a, that's a great swashbuckling pirate adventure. 
it doesn't have any of the sort of mass exploration in the way that um, in the way that Manchester Madness does. It's got more of a somewhere between sort of Monkey Island and a sort of nautical kind of ship combat game. But that is phenomenal. And about as piratey, cheesy piratey as you can get. There's My Father's Work, which takes almost what Manchester Madness does and applies it to a Euro game. Um, and My Father's Work is... In fact, that's probably how you describe it. It's like Manchester Madness, the Euro game of a sort, but it's actually kind of you're all mad scientists. So it's it's similar theme to like the era of Frankenstein or something like that, but you're trying to, um, or Abomination, whatever, that was the full name of that game. But the My Father's Work uses an app that interjects and changes the game up and gives you secrets in the middle of uh, what is effectively a worker placement game that takes ages because it runs over three years. You've got three generations of, of people who are going through a family in different scenarios that all sorts of different colour to it. The board changes up into about 20 different ways. And it's really entertaining, but it takes forever to play because the it's so thematic that the written interjections, when you get a bit of story, some of them are narrated, but most of them ask you to read them out. And they're long. Right. And they're long because they are based on like Victorian Gothic fiction. And in Victorian Gothic fiction, you cannot say the man slunk along the road. Right. You have to say hidden behind his deep, dark cape, the man took a tentative step along with his large, you know, ingressed toe onto the pavement (laughs) and the paving stone stepped out agrariously over to, yeah, whatever it is. Anyway, you have to waffle on and on and on and make everything really flurried. So it does that. And it's kind of cool for doing it because it's right, right? And a lot of some people are going to get really annoyed and go, just get on with it. I only want to play the game. Don't play my father's work. My father's work is for if you actually quite like that kind of stuff and find it really funny because it's really well done. But that's a great game. A really fantastic example of how apps have been used and also an example of where perhaps they've been misused comes from Lucky Duck Games and Chronicles of Crime. I think Jenna, because Jen, did you say you played Chronicles of Crime or you just I had it on the shelf? Chronicles. No, I have actually played it, but I was given Chronicles of Crime for my birthday in 2020. I feel really bad because I've only played it once or twice and I got a little bit turned off by the base game because I was like, oh, I don't even remember what it was now, but just the very base scenario that it came with, I was like, this is not what I expected it to be. I expected it to be so much more. But now that I know from what you've said before that there's a whole bunch of other scenarios out there, I'm really keen to give it another go. So Chronicles of Crime, because that's been quite a popular game, so many of you will, will know it and have played it, but Chronicles of Crime is the other end of the, the scale from something like Manchester Madness in terms of an app-driven game, completely different. It's a detective game. That series of games from Lucky Duck all use a QR code on the card effectively to drive the app. So you're looking and hunting to get combinations of items to do various things where you're going to then scan a QR code to try and make it work. And it's on top of the QR codes, occasionally you'll find a scenario where you'll look at the scenario potentially in 3D, if you've got a 3D viewer on your phone, but you'll look at it, one player will, and they might call out things they can spot. You'll hunt through the cards to find those things, which you can then examine by scanning the QR codes. Um, Some of the base scenarios are good. Some of the couple of them are really good. Some of them are less good. Some of them are fine until you accidentally get something wrong or you miss something really, really well hidden in one of those scenes and you just find yourself just stuck and you can't get anywhere because it's kind of the game. It's like that. They had a couple of expansion sets of them. They are patchy. One of them, the noir one, has a couple of decent cases and a couple of naff cases. And the 
there was another one that was the Stranger Things style one. Uh, Welcome to Redview, I think it was called. And to be honest, I didn't think that much of it. They had a medieval one called Chronicles of Crime 1400, and I've not played that Ooh. at all. But the, and that might be good, I don't know. And then they did Destinies, which was really popular. And then there's a game set in New Orleans called The Dark Quarter that's coming out soon as well, which uh, has a sort of murder mystery in, in New Orleans. And I, I'm obsessed with New Orleans, but I got a little bit put off that. Destinies was reputed because I haven't played it. I'm not going to condemn it for this because it, it might not be a fair judgment, but it's reputed to take the app a little too far to the point where say Paul has been saying, well, why the hell do I have a game in this box? This is an app game. There is no board game here. Hmm. So it, it kind of Chronicles of Crime has this great idea. When it works, it works. When it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But something that I discovered in lockdown when playing uh, Chronicles of Crime, was that they had released a development kit so that because you had a preset set of characters, in particular in the base box, they've all got their QR codes, you've got a preset set of items that exist in the base box, and they've got a scripting tool for building Chronicles and Crime Adventures, and people can, if they're ambitious enough, even upload some 3D photos and 3D images to them so that they can make those scanning things so that you can scan those and try and look for clues. The... Chronicles of Crime fan-made expansion collection is relatively extensive. There's not hundreds of them. And um, some of them, Chronicles of Crime, came from a French company. There's a bunch of them that are in French and other languages and so on. So if you speak those languages, that's fantastic. There are uh, a number of ones that are in English and that have been translated into English. One of them in particular is really quite special. And um, I played it a while ago, and I know there's probably a couple of bits in it it's a fan-made one that are a little flaky. It's called A Simple Case of Theft. So if you're a fan of Chronicles of Crime, you've got it, and uh, you're kind of thinking, oh, what other interesting things could this system do? Just look up, you can find it in the Board Game Geek files section for, for the game. You look up A Simple Case of Theft, right? Remember that, because that takes what you can actually do with the components in the Chronicles of Crime box and the tools they give you and goes way beyond anything that the developers of Chronicles of Crime did. It does some strange and silly stuff and quite mischievous stuff. And the kind of thing that actually the publishers would have gone, no, don't do that. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to playing it now. I feel like I want to give that game another go because when I first was bugging Rod for ages, I want to get this, I want to get this. I think I hyped it up so much in my own mind that I overhyped it a little bit which is why I was probably disappointed with the very first scenario because it was very simple and I went, oh, well, that's kind of boring. But knowing that there are those options out there, I definitely, definitely want to give that another go, especially where there are, you know, options for like 1400s and medieval and that kind of thing. It sounds like it. it's probably a lot better of a game than I actually give it credit for. I think it's the game is so basic that actually I think it's impossible to argue that whether the game is good or not. The scenarios are either good, great, or awful, or <laughs> in a couple of cases, broken. Yeah. Right? And so it's I, it's not one where the game system on its own wins it. I think with like, if you look at Detective, the modern crime board game, that's got a very simple sort of system to it, but that was been effectively copied by other detective games. It is that pattern to say... Here's a certain amount of information. You can solve the case by semi-guesswork because you're not going to get all the clues if you go in a number of different directions. 
but you could go in directions where you just miss something completely, or you could go somewhere where you can kind of get it. And the whole point of those games is, is that you, when you do get it, you feel incredibly chuffed with yourself because you made the lateral thinking hunch and it played off. Right, that's what they're trying to get you to. I think you could say the same about the unlock games with that as well, though, because I have found that a majority of the unlock games that I've played, I've really enjoyed. But there was one in particular that I played and I hated it. I wanted to literally burn it in a fire so that nobody ever had to do it ever again. And there's a lot of run-throughs with the unlock game. So afterwards, if you do fail it, you can actually go look at the run-throughs and go, well, what did we do wrong? How should we have actually played this? And the run-through for this particular one when we went back and read it and all the reviews of it, everybody had the same issue that we did in that there was not enough clarity to actually get to the end result. It wasn't the werewolf one, was it? Oh, it might have been. It might have been the werewolf one, actually. Uh, it was just, oh, I, it almost put me off playing unlocked games ever again. It was so bad. But the rest of them that I've played, I've actually really loved because I love a good escape room and I think being able to do a little mini escape room on your kitchen table is absolutely fantastic. So they're definitely another app game that I would say give it a go because you're not missing out. It's it's such most of them, majority of them are so well set up that you will have a good time. So, so now for another word from our sponsors. We are so lucky today to be joined by the amazing crew from Gameway Board Gaming Tables. Hi, guys. How's it going today? Hello. Hey, good. We just got back from a swim, so we're feeling fresh. Nice. Well, let's start with, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Uh, So I'm Julia, and um, by day, I am an occupational therapist. I work um, in a special school, and um, by evenings and weekends, I am the better half of Gameway. And, yeah, that's probably my my little nutshell. (laughs) Um, Yeah, my name's Jim. Uh, I'm from Tassie originally. I moved to Melbourne to be an actor, and now... That. Yep, not doing that. We'll forgive you from being uh, from Tassie. It's really, fine. Don't worry. <laughs> that's okay. You know, same way it's making me billions of dollars. Maybe I'll try it again. <laughs> uh, and then I just got really into board games. Um, on a trip to Europe, I got incredibly bored in Birmingham. I got so bored that I forced myself to get into board games. And then uh, when I got back, we kind of just started the business, you yeah. know. It, we, um, I was also forced into loving games, yeah. board games as well. <laughs> well. Yeah, we got a table made. We struggled to get a table made in Australia. We were looking for a while um, and we couldn't get like a nice dining table um, and the gaming table exactly how we wanted. So we put, hit, hitched up with a carpenter and then he made ours. And then we're like, well, maybe maybe we should just do that for, for other people. And yeah, it's been it's been great. And look, having played on one of your beautiful tables, I actually three of your beautiful tables. They are really fantastic. <laughs> we had a really good chat at BunnyCon with you guys in regards to your tables and how awesome they are. And I can see behind you that our board game obsession clearly has taken hold. You guys have so many games there. So what would you? Oh, Business absolutely right. <laughs> so what would you say is your favourite game? 
Yeah, so I'm pretty outspoken in that Twilight Imperium. Fortune, everything. <laughs> that is, I'm, yeah, I need a rule book that could be considered a novel. Like, the longer the game, the better. Give me all the rules. I love area control, theme, and immersion generally. So it's kind of of all those. Oh, you, I love it. <laughs> I could go on for hours, but I you won't. You would probably love Agricola then, Jim, but it, yeah, um, it's it's a bit of a longer game. It's got lots of rules. It's very fun, though. And how about yourself, Jules? Yeah. I am the complete opposite. Um, it's very tricky to find a game that Jim and I can both get to the table um, and love similarly because I am exclusively a co-op kind of person um i i like to play to just enjoy the game and i hate losing <laughs> i'm really bad at losing especially for me because i'm probably bad at winning <laughs> so co-op for me is is the one um I would say that probably at the moment i'm assuming frosthaven will be my favorite game um because Gloomhaven has been and we've just started playing. Um, but if it's a game that I haven't tried to, you know, it takes a, a lot of time commitment and a lot of trying to make sure my friends are available to play with me, my second favourite game is um, Sherlock Consultant. Oh, I've been looking at that one. I really want to give it a go. It's so good. Very cool. It's like... Nothing else like it. Yeah, it's so unique. Um, every case, you know, there's, there's multiple um, editions of it, so you, you kind of have a different experience every time you play, and we've played with so many different people. You can play by yourself. You can play with the 100 people. You <laughs> could. <laughs> and you can play for as long and as short as you want. It's just such a... Nice. And it's just a theme that I very much like. Mm. I grew up reading the Philip books, so... Nice. Oh, look, I sit somewhere halfway in the middle and that I love a bit of competition, but every now and then a good co-op game is always fun as well. So, yeah, (laughs) we should definitely set up a a game day sometime, guys. It'd be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So, now to a bit of a funny question. What is your favourite household item and why? I have a feeling I know what this is going to be for you guys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, it sounds Jim's like this is going to be very obvious. Yeah, it sounds like I'm chilling for the, the company, but like it is my table. Like I just love it. it it's like the only real piece of furniture I own. Um, so of course that is my favourite thing. But I also do love my Google Home, ah. Google Home Nest Hub. So I can say, "Hey Google, lights red." And I think it's, it's probably going to do it. It's always listening. it did. Oh my yeah. god, that's so cool. Um, yeah, I just, I, I just love that. It's it's uh, it's so cool. Anyway, what's yours, Julia? I can go on for it. Mine is is again an opposite. Or it must be opposites tracked over here. Um, <laughs> mine is my crock pot. Oh, amen. <laughs> it, um, I have an instant pot and. It's like perfect for someone like me who loves cooking but has no like time. Yeah. No time, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a gift. Do you have the one that's got the air fryer in it as well? How good. Oh my I God. I don't, but I'm buying that for my mum for Mother's Day and I bought it for my dad for Christmas. No, no, so. no. So <laughs> buy, buy one for yourself and give your mum yours for Mother's Day. <laughs> You know how to work the system. She's like, I swear I've Absolutely. seen this. Absolutely. <laughs> With all my like 
stains of all the different, like, you know, it's gotten to the point where there's just... The stains the, are getting stained by the um, other stuff that's staining it. it. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yes, everything's ever been cooked in it. It's just... It's, it's my vape. It's beautiful. <laughs> oh, man. I, I use my Instapot all the time as well because, yeah, you know, we all work really long hours. If we can have someone else do the hard work for us or something else do the hard work for us, why not, right? But, yeah, Rod and I are definitely looking forward to having one of your tables in our house at some point. We absolutely love them. <laughs> Tell us a bit more about Gameway Tables. Where can we find you guys? Yeah, so, I mean, we've got a website, www.gameway.com.au, where all the information is and a ton of photos. Facebook and Instagram the same? Yep. Gameway. A lot of people find our YouTube uh, channel very helpful when they're both just, like, thinking about buying one of ours or making their own table in general. Also, you know, we make tier lists and fun things, so, you know, that. But, yeah, YouTube is where I would recommend really starting, actually. Um but yeah, we're in Melbourne, so um, we're hoping to get our tables in retailers in other states. We have some, one in Sydney and we're getting one in Queensland already. Um, but yeah, if you're in Melbourne or Victoria, you can come see, you can even come here and test the tables out. So, um, you can find us everywhere. And we ship Australia wide. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. And what would you say it is about your tables that you changed? to suit you that you make think it that you think <laughs> makes them stand out i mean one thing that is underrated i think is the fact we offer wider borders on the table like most tables overseas or they're all overseas we're kind of the only like australia part small little uh, carpenters but uh, they all have one thin border width and when we first made our table i was like i want a fat border so i can sit my you know twilight imperium player boards or you know agricola player board stuff on the side and have the main board in the middle so it feels really really clean that's one thing that sets us apart but also we just um we make them in like real solid australian timber as well like there's no staining happening um so it's very you know, it's bespoke, you know, it's very, very good, very good quality is, is kind of what we focus on. I think one thing that makes the table so great or Gameway, you know, so successful is that we work really closely with um, our carpenter who knows furniture making and design so well and he's so passionate about it. And then, you know, particularly Jim, he, he has the passion and the love of board games and it just works so nicely um, to, to create this really nice product that is both functional and um, and so exciting to play on. It really does elevate your experience of playing and yeah. Oh my goodness and she's so cute for those listening at home the cutest Frenchie in the world. Do you want to say anything oh. about the table? Yeah. Say hello Becky. <laughs> Bit of a lick of the microphone, always a good sign. <laughs> yeah, just a little lift. That'll be really good for It's audio. been so lovely chatting with you guys today. I'm a massive fan of your tables. I can't wait to get one for myself. Definitely, everyone, you need to check out Gameway Tables. They are absolutely fantastic. And thank you so much for chatting with us. So one of the things about Manchester Madness was that when it came out, there was a lot of Ooh, you've put an app into this board game. <laughs> I don't want an app into my board game. I play board games so that I can force myself away from that device. 
yeah. you're asking me to bring that advice back to the table. And I will state straight off, I was one of those people, right? Once you've got a uh, particular really? sort of into the workplace a little bit, and you're like going, I am got myself stuck to these things. I had a brief period in my life where I, I felt, did I actually end up with three different devices at one point in my pocket? Because work would issue me one and then I'd have another one. And it's, it, you know, after a while, you've been messing with your Blackberry ages me doesn't it <laughs> you, your, you kind of you've got your got your blackberry then your iphone then your like android phone or even a phone, windows yeah. phone or whatever it is and all this stuff and you want to get away from this and you realize you're constantly tied to, to screens and so on so i think that put a a bit of pressure onto fantasy flight to mm. do it right and to make that work so that actually the app didn't intrude on the game it made it special and it it worked and it doesn't because one of the other things it does is it doesn't do any more than it needs to absolutely it doesn't try and micromanage where your characters are if it doesn't need to know right it basically says right it knows that there is a angry mob on the board right doesn't need to know exactly where they are right it knows that they're there you know if you're near the angry mob if you need to attack the angry mob or if the angry mob is going to attack you based upon what the app says, you tell the app that that's what's happening and prod it and it tells you how hard the angry mob's going to hit you or which dice to roll to find out. Yeah. So it, it doesn't get in your way. Your eyes stay on the board most of the time, right? You only need to look at the app when you're using it. It's got some puzzle games and slidey block things. And to be honest, I think they're, they're, they're fun once in a while, but actually maybe they're a little excessive because they, they do distract from looking at the board. It doesn't mess with that system. And I think there's just, there are a couple of games that have veered to the point of being, effectively they've turned into an app game uh, with yeah. like a, a physical components. And that doesn't work as well, but it's an amazing achievement that they managed to do that. And I think that's really opened up what you can do. You know, controversial opinion. I feel like Arkham Horror is Mansions of Madness first edition. By that you mean Arkham Horror as opposed to Arkham Horror the card game. The board game, sorry. Uh, Sorry, Arkham Horror the board game. (laughs) I think, yeah, no, no, no. I just remembered there is the Arkham Horror card game, which is separate as well. I feel like it was just the portable version of Mansions of Madness that you didn't need the app for, which sounds like the first version of Mansions of Madness that you didn't need the app for. So when we were going through and looking at it, I realised that the characters in a lot of circumstances from Arkham Horror were the same as the characters from Mansions of Madness, as were the scenarios, as were a lot of the tokens. And I was like, Oh, so I ended up giving it to my friend's teenage son because he was really into Cthulhu as well and absolutely loved it. And I thought, well, what's the point of having both of them when they're essentially the same thing, but one has an app and one doesn't? I think the scale of travel is different because that's the thing. H.P. Lovecraft only wrote so many stories, so they've recycled them all again and again. The same thing happens in the card game, which some people I know are addicted to Arkham Horror, the card game, I tried and I was like, no, I don't like it. So, so what I had went, the couple of two but the But Arkham Horror, Arkham Horror is on a bigger scale in terms of when you're wandering about yes. exploring, you know, because much of the madness, you're going down like a corridor or an alleyway or up into a deserted lighthouse or something, or like down a train carriage. Arkham Horror, you're kind of walking around like the city. Eldritch Horror, you're traveling around the world. Right, you know, kind of, it's like, kind of, there's, but it's the same 
characters. And a lot, you're right, a lot of the same sort of stuff, but it's just the scale of the place or the space that you're working in that seems to change. Um, and then Arkham Horror, the card game, is probably more intimate again in many ways, but then it stops being a game about the exploring. That's the thing. Arkham Horror, the card game, is a game about I'm going to play this kind of thing where I try and beat this scenario, but actually what I'm going to do is spend two hours, three hours in a room on my own beforehand constructing a deck that I think will beat it. And yeah. that's the bit where it's like, that's, that's a different kind of thing. And that is there to appeal, like, as opposed to sort of trading card gamers. That was, I love deck building games because you build the game as the deck. <laughs> oh, deck is the game. Well, which is why Rod's best friend absolutely loves it. So Cam, Rod's best friend, is a massive Magic the Gathering player. And we played Arkham Horror, the card game, with him after he'd gone through and bought almost everything that you could possibly have for Arkham Horror. So it was all very well constructed and he went through and played a few scenarios with us. But, again, I, I still feel like it's the portable version of Mansions of Madness and I really like Mansions of Madness. So shout out to us. Do you like all of the different games there? Do you do you prefer Mansions of Madness over Arkham Horror the card game, Arkham Horror the board game? Do you feel like they are all very different? Do you like playing all of them? I'd love to hear what people have to say because, uh, yeah, obviously my opinion is why have all and Chris's opinion is they're all different flavors but then I only have Mansions of Madness because <laughs> I I don't if I had to buy any one of the other ones again and I've played some and I'm there the one I'd be most likely to buy and I'm not particularly likely to buy them would be Eldritch Horror yeah because that one is the one that feels like the most different because that's your kind of gallivanting all over the world type affair so that's, that's a nice contrast to Mansions of Madness I know it's quite similarly sort of lucky. It's also a co-op game, but it doesn't need an app and it yeah. doesn't need a games master, unlike the first one. So the other Cthulhu game that is out there, of course, and the one that in theory would appeal most to me is Unfathomable. So Unfathomable is Battlestar Galactica. So when Fantasy Flight lost the license, they eventually remade it and they've remade it. Now they've remade it as a Cthulhu, which for me is like, I don't want to remade as a Cthulhu game, I'm sick of Cthulhu. Uh, but I got lucky and I managed to get a copy of Battlestar Galactica. And apparently it's very faithful. Apparently it's a better mechanical game because they resolved some of the issues in Battlestar Galactica that were fixed by the expansions, in particular with that game. And it incorporates some of the bits of the expansions from Battlestar Galactica and perhaps maybe puts in a little bit too much in the base game because it brings in some of the expansion content and reflects it. And that is something that, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to get the expansions for Battlestar Galactica. If you want to know why, just hunt for a couple of them on eBay and look at the price. (laughs) They are terrifying. They're even more than trying to get a copy of the base game uh, for like a handful of cards and a few pieces. You suddenly find yourself looking at 700 bucks. No, thanks. So I won't ever play with those. So Unfathomable is meant to be a tighter, better game. But if you have played Battlestar Galactica and seen the series, you'll realise, as I mentioned right at the beginning of this episode, that they are very, 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 very closely matched in how they feel. Battlestar Galactica was designed around Battlestar Galactica. It feels, I mean, not just like Battlestar Galactica, very specifically, I think there was an episode called 33. I think it's called 33, where basically every 33 minutes, the Cylons reappear and blast you out of nowhere. And then they manage to escape. And in 33 minutes, they reappear again. It feels specifically like that episode of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. And it's, if you make the same game 
and I think this is what I've heard about Unfathomable, but I haven't played it, is that they've tried to adjust it a bit, but it still feels like Battlestar Galactica shoehorned into Cthulhu because mm. it was so thematic, so tied to that feel um, that it feels a little bit off. So for Cthulhu fans, it's something about it isn't quite right in terms of the feel of it, and it's because it's basically Battlestar Galactica. However, Battlestar Galactica's phenomenal game we're gonna have to play another time chris <laughs> we're definitely gonna have to have a playthrough we are actually we were playing about psychonautica the other night we didn't finish we got to the point where we we're gonna get kicked out of the place we were playing and we were probably like three or four turns off the end of the game oh, and we actually boom. looked through the cards we looked through the things to try and see if we could work out whether the cylons would win or whether the humans would win and it was going to be on a knife edge we could see the cliffhanger come in There was like one test where it was basically going to be all decided in terms of, you know, like one great big face off in a couple of turns. But actually, that was okay. We didn't mind. We left and we thought that wasn't resolved. And that, right, you know, you played a really thematic game where actually, if you leave it on a slight cliffhanger, it's okay because in some ways it's fitting. It's like the end of the episode when basically the cliffhanger is going to resolve at the beginning of the next one. Feels great. It's a great teller of a good game, isn't it? If you can still play through a game, either not finish or lose the game and still come away from it and go, that was fantastic, that's a well-designed game. You know, it could be that you just know that genre really well, so you really love playing with that genre. It can be it's just a very well-put-together game that even if you don't know the genre, you're going to have a great time. And I definitely think that is where Mansions of Madness and Battlestar Galactica really do very well take on that role of you can bring anybody into it and even if they don't really know the theme, they're still going to have a great time. We talked a bit about how friendly and I guess how easy to play Manchester Madness is for quite a big game because the app takes on so much weight uh, and so much of the burden. How friendly do you feel it is overall to kind of a wide variety of gamers? Because there, there are some things, I think, in all the fantasy flight games that are a little bit, a little bit tricky. I feel like in terms of things like, let's go straight out there with colour blindness. I think it's a great game for people who have colour blindness because it doesn't really rely on the colours of anything. Every component is very well defined as to what it actually is. And the colours are also muted anyway, that it has to be well playable for everybody. So, I definitely think don't let that worry you. If you are colourblind, Mansions of Madness would be a great game for you. Dexterity-wise, I feel like someone who has some dexterity issues may have issues with some of the smaller pieces with Mansions because there are a lot of little tiny tokens. Um, But, again, could very easily be rectified just by sliding them across the table instead of picking them up. You know, there's... Yeah, awesome coin capsules for some of them because a lot of them are around. So that's that's another way of doing that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. In terms of neurodiversity, I think it's a fantastic game. It's definitely a game that keeps you interested because it is a cooperative slash semi-cooperative game, depending on who's gone insane. I think it's really good to keep everybody engaged in what's going on because even if it's not your turn, Everyone's discussing. Everyone's talking about where should we go from here? What should we do? You know, how can we best use each other's skills to make this work and make this happen? 
definitely a lot of gender representation for a game that was <laughs> essentially based off of one of the most racist, homophobic, horrible human beings that is famous in existence. There's a lot of gender, race and ethnicity representation within the actual Mansions of Madness game. So I think it's really fantastic for that. The player aids are very, very good. The rules are so simple. Like I've played this with my mum and my mum couldn't even grasp the concept sometimes of Ticket to Ride. So (laughs) she enjoyed this game. I definitely think it, it is one you could probably play with your kids if they're a little bit older so i i wouldn't i'd i'd say only i wouldn't call it a family game because it is a horror game and there is murder that comes into it in some circumstances and monsters but you know what i'd say 12 years and up you'd be fine for sure i think i played it with my boy when he was 11 and at that point he was but all kids are different, so he was uh, yeah. fine with that at that point and fine with the scenario we were playing. But if anything, it was more just like sometimes when it went on for a little bit, he was like, uh, you know what, Dad, I'm, I'm, there's only so many hours in a row that I'll play this, <laughs> but I'm an 11-year-old. You know, and that is something Absolutely. to factor in because it's quite a long game. Um, I think the only challenge which I would really put to Manchester Madness is the same challenge I put to a lot of fantasy flight games of that era. I don't know whether Unfathomable has improved on this because this is a fantasy flight thing which is having small cards with really, really, really small writing on them. Yes. And then when you talk about those miniatures, it's, you know, again, you've got these little tiny chits of cardboard that are embedded into the miniatures, again, with really, really small writing on them. And sometimes with miniatures full stop, you've always got the problem with miniature games if you don't paint them. The miniatures themselves can be a little bit grey and bland and most of them are reasonably well defined there's not too many that look almost like another one so you kind of know what's what but that's more of a problem with your player characters you know when you say it's important to have a wide variety of strengths in terms of your abilities when you pick your players which is a really important thing it's also important if whatever reason you know kind of if uh, anyone's got anything other than sort of like really perfect eyesight or you're not in a really well lit room is to pick characters that are striking poses that are different enough to each other (laughs) because otherwise you can quite easily just pick up somebody else's character oh yeah and the more the more expansions you have the more characters you get the harder it is for them to be determined as to which one is which but look at the end of the day i think a really good one something we've actually done is um grabbed a whiteboard marker and just put like a little red dot or something on one of them one of the heads so if one of them looks a little bit like the other and I need I do actually want to go through and paint all of the player characters because I think that would definitely help so if you've got the time and energy to do it definitely at least paint your base characters and that will definitely help you with defining them yeah, one of the things that I've thought about doing for a couple of games uh, that I've got where I think I'm not sure I can face painting them just because there's too much plastic is yeah. to do exactly that, is to paint just the player characters and then to spray base paint the um, in like a grey or like a red all the monsters and just put some wash on them. and that's it you know so it's like mass produced kind of gives them a little bit of definition a bit of shape they end up being kind of like bland but they're a lot less bland than great monsters that are just great plastic 
that you put the effort into your player characters because that way at least you know you're moving the right figure. And actually, often the monsters are more easy to tell apart at a distance than like the player characters. Like I, I've got Western Legends, which was one of the first games I painted up when I decided to have a go at painting miniatures. The player characters in that at a distance, it's really easy to mistake one cowboy for another cowboy. Just is. Oh, um, so a little splash of paint really helps in that scenario to make uh, make them distinguish from each other. And Station Fall, which has been mentioned a few times, is a, <laughs> a sort of favourite game. Station Fall can be played without the minis, but I think probably shouldn't, and definitely shouldn't be played without painting the minis. And if you paint the minis, that playability of that game goes up a thousandfold because it is just far too hard to read the board without being able to quickly see who's who and where they are. Uh, so sometimes it makes a big difference. Mansions of Madness, you know, you can you can get around it. So, Jen, I think that's about it. That is about it, I think. Mm-hmm. I think the only other thing I would say is if you haven't played Mansions of Madness, do. Give it a go. Find a friend who's yeah. got a copy. Come along to a Melbourne Maples event and ask as if you can play a copy. We can always arrange games for people. And, yeah, I mean, I think I've said this enough times, definitely one of my favourite games. I will play Mansions of Madness over and over and over again. And if you can get a hold of a copy secondhand at a reasonable price, it is so worth it. Another thing you might want to uh, have a look for at some point is other games by the designer of Mansions of Madness, Corey Koneska, because if you go back in time from Mansions of Madness and Star Wars Rebellion and so on, you'll sign this huge kind of fantasy flight, epic, really thematic games. However, for the last three years, I think, he set up his own little imprint because Corey Koneska can do whatever he likes because he's, you know, heck, he designed Mansions of Madness and Twilight Imperium and like Star Wars Rebellion, you know, the guys are game design god. So people will let him publish what he'll publish and he can sell stuff. So he basically set up his own publisher called Unexpected Games to try and find ah. ways of designing and publishing board games that were completely different to anything else that was out there. And it's quite hard to be completely different than anything else was out there. You have to be really out there. So they are really out there. Jen, you've played one of them, I think, 3,000 Scoundrels. No, I haven't played that. Do you remember the ones? Now, do you remember? You have played that. Do you remember the ones where you were putting cyberpunk cowboys into different sleeves and you were, like, sticking them together? So you got, like, the glamorous train robber or whatever, right? So that's by the designer of Mansions of Madness. Oh, I love that. There was this game called... Voices in my head, that's a courtroom game where you've got a guy in a courtroom and he is guilty and you're playing different parts of his conscience to see whether or not he's going to admit to being guilty. <laughs> and the way you play it is by trying to shove these little sticks. You make these court arguments and then you spend ages shoving these things off this little picture of his brain until they fall off and see if something falls off the side of his brain. Oh, and basically that's hilarious. You've, you've lost his like guilt or whatever it is. Um, it, it, it's just absurd. They're not big expensive games, they're little games, but effectively he's just going, let's give this a shot and see if it works. And they are weird as hell. So Corey Kineska has been doing some uh, amazing stuff. He's not resting on his laurels. And I think he got a little bit sick of basically saying, we're just making big epic games for Fantasy Flight. There's not a demigoth, whatever they're called, Golgothan, what's it, Cthulhu thing that I can't <laughs> pronounce anywhere in sight in any of these games. Um, but yeah, check those out as well because he's he's done some amazing stuff. Uh, he's very, very, very creative guy. 
Well, thank you for joining us for this episode. This has definitely been one of my favourite ones to record. We hope that you're having an awesome time listening to us. Please do let us know if you got along to the board game market, if you've played Mansions of Madness or if you would like to give it a go. And you can find all of our social information in the box below. We're on Facebook. We've got an email list. We've got a website. We've even got an Instagram. And that's a wrap from us at the Friendly Maples Lounge. Hope you have an absolutely fantastic week and we'll see you again soon.